I'm hoping that this experience can actually be um, not just me talking, but all of us experiencing being here together. Um, And I'm going to start us out with kind of an, an experiment that some of you might do anyway while listening to a Dharma talk. But I'd like to engage you in a way that has nothing to do with me (laughs) and nothing to do with what I'm saying. Because actually, whatever I say tonight is meaningless unless you are completely connected with yourself and with your own truth. And so I'd like us to start by really understanding that and connecting with that. So I know we just sat, but we're going to... We're going to sit some more. And if there's aversion to that, notice that. <laughs> there's excitement about that, notice that. <laughs> if you don't really care either way, great. <laughs> <laughs> so just get comfortable. There's no brownie points for good posture right now. Just be comfortable. Uh, I'd like you to begin by closing your eyes. And I'd like you to relax. And to actually just rest in this moment. And that's going to look a little different for each one of us. For some of us, that means resting in a body that is uncomfortable. For some of us, that means resting in a mind that is cloudy or tired. If you're me, you're resting in a body whose heart is pounding. (laughs) And this is all okay. We're just going to rest in whatever is happening right now. To just connect with your truth of what's happening right now. And there's three phrases that I'd like to share with you that I've been practicing with lately. And that is, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do right now. Simply being with what is. Nothing other than that. Notice if you're trying to manipulate or control your situation right now. There's nothing to do. There's nothing happening. Just rest. The other phrase is, there's nowhere to go. We're not going anywhere right now. We're just sitting. Notice if your mind struggles with that. If it wants to be somewhere else. This is okay, of course, if it does. This is what the mind does. 
It jumps around. It goes from future thinking to past thinking to complaining to wondering to worrying. All kinds of things happen in the mind. You might just notice if it's pleasant or not. And let it do its dance. And somewhere inside of you also know and hold the truth that there's nowhere to go right now. The other phrase is, there's no one to be. There's no one to be right now. Whoever you think you are, it's really not important. Any becoming or creating of, of yourself, of what you're hoping other people are perceiving, is really unimportant right now. Does the truth of things actually hold an identity for you? Is the truth something you own or something you can create? Or is it just here? Whether you realize it or not, notice if you get into the way of just experiencing what's here, resting in what's here. you're feeling sleepy, it's okay to open your eyes, you know, sit up a little straighter and just notice that sleepiness, what it, just, what it feels like in the body. If you're feeling agitation, just noticing that that's in the body, that that's in the, the mind. You don't need to manipulate it. You don't need to change it or control it. I'm going to keep talking, but I'd like you to stay connected throughout this talk. To listen not just with your ears, but to really pay attention with all of your senses. If you find at some point that you're not feeling connected, it means that in that moment you've just become aware and you can bring yourself back. So it's no problem, no problem at all. I first received instructions like this to just rest. Uh, 
maybe a year ago, and it was really counterintuitive. I felt like when I practice, when I am working at waking up, there's a lot to do. (laughs) There's so much to do. There's so much of me that isn't quite right. There's so much that I aspire to be. And that is going to take a lot of work. So when I was told to just rest, uh, it kind of pissed me off, to be honest. You know, it was so against everything that I thought I was doing. But really what it was doing was pointing out me getting in the way. And that's actually what was making me angry about it. It was simply uh, my ignorance being pointed out. Somebody shining the light on it. And I don't know about you, but I hate that. (laughs) I don't want to see that. I'd much rather be diligent and work hard and look like a really good yogi than have somebody shine the light on sometimes what's true, which in this instance was that I needed to relax, that I needed to just be a part of the flow of awareness that was already there. There was nothing really for me to do but get out of the way. And this has been a real struggle, and I think this is a struggle that a lot of us practitioners have. And if this is something you don't identify with, that's fine. Um, You can just listen and learn how it might be for others. But I think this is something that's common. If it's not in the practice, then it's somewhere else where we're just trying so hard all the time to make things a certain way. This trying, or uh, I was just told today, Adi Ashanti, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a wisdom spiritual teacher uh, in the Bay Area, actually, but known worldwide. His instruction to his students is to not manipulate the experience. Basically saying to just relax, to just be with what's there. Stop trying to control things. Well, I get that, and I can do that on a level, but for instance, when something comes up like anger or frustration, I start throwing, you know, meta phrases at it, <laughs> you know, or start trying to think of something nicer, kinder. When I am uncomfortable, I'm, I'm too cold, I'll bundle myself up so that I can be comfortable again so I can then proceed to be mindful and sit. These are just small examples, but they're things that we're doing all the time, tweaking our experience so it's just right, so that we can have that perfect experience that to be a certain way in order to be able to pay attention, to be mindful. We can spend a lot of energy, a lot of time trying to manipulate 
our situation in order to have that perfect peace, that perfect quiet, that perfect cushion, that perfect spiritual outfit so that I can then look and be the part of that spiritual practitioner. And I say that mockingly, but it's just, it's something that we do. It's part of our personality. It's, you know, I don't know if it's a Western thing or it's just human nature, but we are trying so hard for something that's already there. That something being this awakeness. This realization of truth. This realization of truth, this being aware, this being awake, isn't something where molecules suddenly (laughs) come together and there's this huge explosion and fireworks and all of a sudden we are enlightened because we just did, you know, put all the right pieces together, the climate was just right, you know, people were being quiet in the hall. It was that perfect moment. It doesn't work that way. Awareness is already there. The awakeness is already there. It's whether we're tapped into it or not. It's completely up to us. But that up to us isn't us trying to make it happen. It's simply resting in it, connecting with it. Connecting in it, meaning just being aware of it, paying attention to it right now. Right now. Now. Every moment. There's no perfect moment for enlightenment. It's every moment. And it doesn't start, you know, we're about to have the new year. And the new year is an interesting time in our culture because we... uh, kind of reevaluate where we are in our life, what we want for ourselves, what we'd like to put out there into the world, how to be a better person, you know, how to lose weight, how to be whatever. And we make these promises to ourselves uh, that I think are coming from a good place. And I also think that it is kind of telling to this idea that when things come together this in this new year, you know, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this uh, work the way that I want it to work. I guess what I'm trying to say is that basically waiting for that moment, for that new year resolution, for that perfect moment, uh, it's dukkha. It's that suffering. It's that trying to control something, manipulate something, putting energy somewhere that 
it's almost unnecessary. It's not really needed when we're talking about waking up. The effort needed is simply showing up to this moment. If you're having thoughts of, well, I need to work on my metta, I need to work on my concentration, I need to work on my posture, those are, that's all fine. And those are things that we can do and cultivate. But as we're doing that, let's not get out of touch with the fact that the whole point of that is simply being present, being awake, being aware of what's happening right now. Whether that's, you know, I don't have metta right now. I can't find it. Or, you know, I'm slouching. I need to work on my posture. These moments of awareness are the gems of practice. But I think we... We take them for granted. I know I do all the time. And so this this rub, this control that we are um, constantly bringing into our experience, trying to manipulate, uh, this is the dukkha that the Buddha talks about his first truth, the truth about dukkha, about suffering. It's a burden. We sometimes don't see it as a burden because it seems so normal. This is how we've always lived our life. It's how the people around us lived their lives. But as we start to practice, and we become more and more um, in touch with these, these moments of relaxation, of connection, of openness, of awareness, we can feel the burden, that heaviness that is there in those moments when suddenly that control comes back in, that manipulation of experience comes back in. No, I don't want this to be that way. No, I don't want that to go away. It's so nice. This is the truth, uh, the second truth, the cause of suffering, the cause of dukkha. And this is to be explored. He points these out not just to uh, make us despair about these facts, but he points it out so we can go, ah, this is something I get to work with. There's the dukkha. There it is. I see it now. And every time seeing that, that, that rub, do you know what I mean when I'm saying that? that friction, that place where you're just like, oh, the flow is, 
just not really there. You know? That's, that's that control, that manipulation coming through. Trying too hard to make things happen the way that you want. I think we do this because we forget that things are always changing. Or we're in touch with the fact that things change, but we think that we are the ones that change it. (laughs) This is dukkha. (laughs) Right? This idea that things change is something that we learn immediately in our practice. When you start to pay attention to things, you notice it naturally. Outside of practice, I mean, you notice the changing of seasons, even in California. You notice getting older. You notice uh, changes in relationships. These are obvious, but I don't think we really see the severity that things are changing all the time, moment moment by moment, that we're changing all the time. This is something that I got really in touch with uh, just this past year. Um, I sat a two-month retreat at Spirit Rock and had an experience of noticing life like this. And just the changing experience of everything. Everything constantly changing. If you think about our bodies in a scientific way, in a physiological way, and our the chemicals that are being released, the cells that are moving, vibrating, uh, dying, recreating themselves. We're constantly changing. We see ourselves as the solid object. I am Kate. But that's actually a really... Uh, I don't know why the word shallow way of seeing what this is. It's a really limited way of seeing what this is. We limit ourselves so much by solidifying who we are. By not realizing the changing nature of who we are. We forget. We forget the changing nature of others. The people we love, they, they are, you know, we have people who are born into this world while we're here. And we have people who die in this world while we're here. And it's always shocking and surprising, especially when people are dying. This always is shocking. I've had this experience. Um, I had a period in my life when I was younger I experienced a death after death after death. And each one was just shocking. Each one, even some were grandparents who were older, completely shocking. 
we lose touch with this fact. Things are always changing. It goes back to this place of control, manipulating our experience. We get in touch now and then with these moments in time where we have no control. We can't do anything about that. We really see it with death or severe illness. Where there's just nothing we can do. And this can be, this can feel like, you know, the floor is dropped out. I know that feeling. There's this really wonderful, I don't know, I think it's Joseph Goldstein. I think it's in his book. Um, but I don't know if he's quoting somebody else. But I'm, I'm, I think it might be his quote, where he talks about skydiving. And you're in, in the plane, and you jump out of the plane, and suddenly you realize you don't have a parachute. And that's what it's like, isn't it? When suddenly we realize we have no control There's something much bigger than us or something much bigger that we are a part of. The second line that goes with that quote is that you jump out of the plane, you realize you don't have a parachute. And then you realize there's no ground. And that's what this practice is, is realizing that even though we can't control things, and that things are changing all the time. We can't do thing, anything about that. And it's okay. I think that what the Buddha is pointing out uh, right away in his Four Noble Truths is that, yes, there's a suffering. There's our way that we relate to that suffering or to, that, to the world that creates that suffering. It's our relationship <coughs> with the world and our ignorance, really, of the world that creates that suffering. But it doesn't have to be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way right now. He doesn't say anything about, you know, it's going to take you your whole lifetime or many, many, many lifetimes in order to understand this. What the reason he's giving this instruction is because he believed and he knew from experience and his followers learned this from experience that you can wake up right now. Check in with yourself right now. Are you connected? Be honest with yourself. Are you connected right now? If you're not feeling connected right now, connect with that feeling. There's no limitation to it. That's the great thing. (laughs) It's actually the wonderful news about it. This feeling of connected and feeling uh, aware, awake, has nothing to do with feeling really good, feeling really calm. 
It's just a misperception. And of course, that's what we want to relate it to. This awakening stuff is going to be awesome. (laughs) We're going to feel really good when it happens. And sometimes, yeah, I think that's true. I think the more and more we do our practice, we have more and more of these moments of calm and ease, simplicity. But I know from my own experience that sometimes being aware hurts. Sometimes it's really painful, uneasy, uncomfortable. This is just part of the human experience. We are human. This is humanness. We're in these bodies. They're not always comfortable. We have this mind. It's crazy. (laughs) I mean that it has a mind of its own. (laughs) That's us. That's everybody in this room. We're nothing special. (laughs) And yet, amazing. And notice where you are right now. Are you connected? It doesn't matter what it looks like or feels like. That is completely unimportant. It's whether you're noticing it. Are you connected? If you're completely averse to how you're feeling right now, Noticing the aversion. If you're totally spaced out right now, realizing that you're spaced out, that's it. It's a funny thing, this dukkha. <laughs> this feeling of uh, discontent. Sometimes I see it in layers. Like sometimes the dukkha can be there, or the discomfort, the uh, just the humanness what it's like to be human in all its forms. And I notice that even when things are uncomfortable, somewhere in me can still rest. Something in me can still relax with it. And sometimes I wonder if that's what he's talking about. Is he talking about just our relationship with the human experience? And as we become more friendly with it, what are the possibilities from there? If you're able to be with discomfort in a way that's restful, is there still discomfort? I don't really know. (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) 
But it's, it's an interesting question. I think so, anyway. I have two poems that you may have heard a hundred times, but I'm going to read them anyway because I think they're very poignant uh, to what I'm trying to express. Sometimes I think that poetry uh, can speak in a way that regular dialogue cannot. Sometimes speaking about dukkha and the human experience is so beyond regular words. It's hard to express. But I think these poems do speak to what I'm trying to say. I think this first one is from Noshul Ken Rinpoche. I'm not sure if I just said that right, but it's something like that. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind. Beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thoughts, like the restless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Rest in natural great peace. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind. It is exhausting, isn't it? Sometimes. Sometimes it's exhilarating. Sometimes it's exhausting. When we were talking, when I was talking before, earlier, taking you through that meditation with the three phrases. You know, there's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. There's no one to be. I think this, this trying all the time, it's exhausting. I think there's a point. I know for me personally, there's times where I'm just sick of it. I'm done with it. I'm so done with this selfing, this me, 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 me. This is who I am. I've got to prove it. I've got to look the part. I've got to be polite. It's exhausting. There's a teacher that um, I see fairly regularly, I suppose, uh, Anam Tapten Rupeshe, who I know has been here, and some of you go to his sangha in Point Richmond. And he talks about the self a lot and uh, exhausting the self and how wonderful that is <laughs> to be fully exhausted of the self, of this becoming. I've experienced a few times this exhaustion of trying and being to the point where I have these moments, these glimpses of letting it go. 
and that resting in natural great peace. Natural. This natural way that we actually are. Not this fabricated way. Not this controlled way. Again, we respond, we act, we do, we try, we manipulate out of this humanness. It's so natural. This is how we are. It's nothing to be feeling bad about or ashamed about or worried about. It's just how we are. But to realize this is how we are. And it's exhausting. (laughs) And we can rest. Sometimes I feel like that's what my practice is, is simply resting. There's one more. It's called The Little Duck. Do you guys know this one? Um, It's by Donald C. Babcock. Now we are ready to look at something pretty special. It is a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf, and he cuddles in the swells. There is a big heaving in the Atlantic. He is a part of it. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is, and neither do you, but he realizes it. (coughs) And what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinite, which it is. This is religion, and the duck has it. I like the little duck. He doesn't know much, but he has religion. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinite, which it is. He sits down in the Atlantic, this heaving body of water. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't know how vast it is. He's not trying to control the swells. But he rests in it. This is what we're asked to do when we come and we sit or when we go about our day, when we're interacting with others, when we're being with ourself. This is what we're asked to do. It's actually nothing that special. It's what nature is doing all the time. Just resting in it with what is here. So, just noticing where you are right now, if you're connected. And I'd like to open it up to more conversation. Any questions or comments?
comments, disagreements. <laughs> it's all welcome. Uh, I think so that everyone can hear. I'll have you talking to a mic. That's okay. Who was the poet? Donald C. Babcock. You can Google it. <laughs> yeah, I heard that on a retreat once. Um, when I was really struggling with what was going on with me, I think I was having a lot of body pain and... Um, sorry. A lot of body pain and discomfort. My mind was going nuts. And the, the teacher read this poem, and it was so relieving. I just felt really relieved that, I don't know, I guess it, it connected me in the way that I understood that I didn't need to fight what was happening, that it was all just mine. It was just what was happening. And actually, without that struggle between me and what was happening, me getting out of the way allowed me to rest. My body rested, my mind rested. Everything kind of followed suit. And I think that's generally how it works. Any questions? It's much more interesting if people ask questions. <laughs> it's not just me. Yeah, will you, will you wait for the, ma- the mic? Can someone... My leg's asleep. I'm not getting up. <laughs> uh, this is a, a tough question for me, but um, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a place in my life where manipulation is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be associated in, in many ways. Uh, physical, for example, in terms of I have to do something to eat, and um, and and so in that respect. But there's also other ways, and so I'm, I'm wondering if you can comment on. Yeah, it's a great uh, question. Okay. Yeah. So, is it uh, healthy to sometimes manipulate? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that. Um, Again, sometimes it's hard to find the right word to express experience that uh, express, you know, how to interact with experience all the time because, again, everything's always changing. So is there ever really a right way to do anything all the time? I don't know. (laughs) My experience so far is no. It's always changing. And so we respond in the ways that are really healthy and in touch with what's going on. So, for instance, if you're having body pain, severe body pain, you move. (laughs) You know, you help yourself. You do what needs to be done. So in that way, manipulating the experience makes a lot of sense. But manipulating the experience, um, I guess your relationship to that experience if your relationship to that body pain is this 
hurts, I hate it, I don't like it. If you have this thought that comes up or this inclination that says, oh, that's not okay, I'm supposed to be meditating with this, that's actually not being true with the experience. Noticing, I'm not liking this, this is really unpleasant, I'm going to move now. What is that like? I'm having some guilt feelings right now that I just moved. Oh, what is that like? I feel that you know, in my chest. What is that feeling? Oh, it's a tightness. What's that? You know, And just going in, becoming more intimate with the experience. But not needing to form it or control it in a way that's not true. That's not real. Again, this is our humanness. We're, we're in these human forms. We're going to have physical and mental all kinds of stuff. And all we're asked to do is to notice those things, not to feel bad about those things. The Buddha never said anything about feeling guilty about those things. Just noticing this is what's happening and not feeling like you have to change that or control it in a way that isn't true to the experience. Does that, do you have more on top of what I just said? Or does that feel? That's, um, that's, that's a good answer for me. Okay. Um, being truthful with the experience and recognizing it. So thank you. I recently um, was listening to a tape by Ram Das um, about death, dying, and grieving. And it was a QA. and uh, I believe it was a collection of uh, Q&As from retreats that he was doing over a couple of years on this topic. And a man asked a question. This man... Uh, had AIDS and was dying, and uh, asked, you know, I'm dying, and I get what you're saying. You know, he was talking about all kinds of ways of being with that and coping with it and, and all this. He says, I hear you, but I'm dying. What do I do with that? And Ram Dass, you it's all audio, so you can't see, but... I just envision him taking this long pause. There's this long, long pause, and I imagine him really being with the question. And he says, really be with your truth. Stay close to your truth. That's what he said. Stay as close to your truth as you possibly can. And he went on from there to explain what that meant, which was to just be with whatever is coming up. If you're angry one day because of this, be with that anger. Really understand it. If you're feeling sadness, really being with that sadness. If you're having body discomfort, being with that discomfort, caring for that discomfort taking care of yourself, responding in a way that is being close with your truth in that moment. 
Again, our moments are changing constantly. And so that really is a key piece. Our truth in that moment is going to be very different from our truth in the next moment, maybe. Maybe it's similar, but maybe it's totally different. And so constantly coming back to our, to our truth fresh and getting to know it in the moment. Just wait for the mic for a moment. Maybe raise your hand again so they know where it's going. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, I had one thing to say or one comment and then um, a question. Um, I wanted to say that when you had us start meditating again and just asked us to relax that that was just, for me personally, such a gift. Mm. Um, I think until you really um, are given the, give yourself the permission or someone else gives you permission to relax, you you really don't realize how exhausted (laughs) and and tense you are. So I think that, particularly in this season, this was a great gift. Um, My question is about, um, I think one of, uh, the things that I noticed while listening to your talk and st- trying to stay connected is that um, you know the, the mind is pretty tricky, and uh, there are times when um, you think you think you you have found your truth, but you haven't. <laughs> it's really just another layer that yeah. you're passing through. And so I guess my question is: Are there sort of any signs or particular things that you might notice? when you sort of think that you're connected to what's going on when, in fact, you're not? Yes. (laughs) Actually, exactly what you just said. I'm sure there's many signs or ways to look at it wisely, but what comes up for me is exactly what you said. It's just noticing when you've got it. This is it. This. Mine. Now. Always. My truth. Nope. (laughs) It's changing all the time. How could it possibly be this static existence? The minute we own it or think we've accomplished it, I finally understand it all or this little piece. I know that That same retreat that I was talking about where I was seeing things moment by moment by moment blew me out of the water. My parachute was non-existent as well. (laughs) And uh, I went in that retreat feeling very confident about my practice and all the things that I knew. And even remember telling James... (laughs) before going in saying, I feel so good about my practice, I just know this. (laughs) And came out just this whimpering blob. (laughs) Just, I know nothing. I still feel that way. I know absolutely nothing. And it's so humbling. It's actually, it was probably the best thing that could have happened in my practice, was realizing, you know, what's true for me this moment isn't necessarily true all the time. 
what I think I really know has so many layers. How could I possibly know? It's like that poem. The duck doesn't know how big the Atlantic is, but at least he knows that much. We don't always recognize that, that we don't know. We don't need to know the full extent of the truth of things. In fact, there were things that the Buddha said, don't even bother trying to figure this out. You'll just, it'll drive you crazy. There's a list. I mean, there's a list for everything. But there is a list of things he said, don't even bother. It's way beyond. And that's okay. We're always trying, you know, I think there's a security. I know for myself, I feel much more secure if I can figure it out. (laughs) I'm constantly being told by a certain individual, stop figuring it out. And, you know, it's become a mantra for me, (laughs) constantly needing to figure it out. There's some security, solidity there. There's my ground. It's really harsh when that reality is then taken away, you know. Yeah. Thanks for that question. Yeah, there's one in the back. This might be the last one, and then we'll do a merit. Can I know if you? Yeah. Oh, it's being recorded. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, maybe if you could speak a little bit to finding truth in a life outside of your practice. Yeah. Um, and how maybe that translates into your experience outside of of your practice. That's a great question. Thank you. Yeah. Um, there's our what we call our formal practice, which is what we did here. And then there's our practice everywhere else. <laughs> this, what we do here, in my opinion, this is my opinion, totally worthless if we're not taking this out of the monastery. We have to, when we're on the cushion, part of what we're doing is cultivating this um, ability to pay attention. So when we're practicing, some of you might practice by following the breath. Some of you might say mantra. It doesn't really matter, but there's, there's all kinds of ways to do practice. And what it is is actually just building your ability to be aware and sustain that awareness um, to recognize when you're not aware. And so when you're not sitting formally, finding ways uh, to carry that practice off the cushion is incredibly important. Um, We spend most of our time off the cushion. And I feel like the times that we need it the most, this awareness, is when we're off the cushion, when we're interacting with others. Speech (laughs) is a hard one. And that includes email and texting and all that. You know, just being really aware and kind and, and truthful with our speech. 
being aware with our bodies. We have this amazing vessel. It's with us all the time. Our breath is there all the time. Using that as we go throughout our day to just really connect and stay connected. When I was asking you to listen, not just with your ears, but with all of your senses, when you're doing whatever you do during the day, there, it doesn't really... You don't have to be in a meditation position to access that. It might take some practice, especially if you're just starting out. It's, it's something that you, it kind of builds. This mindfulness builds. But you have to practice. You have to practice. I don't know if that completely addresses your question. Do you have anything other specific, or is that kind of what you were wondering about? Okay. Um, we are just about at time, and I want to make sure we dedicate the merit. Is there anyone with, like, something burning that you just have to say? <laughs> we'll walk out going, oh, I wish I said that. <laughs> Nothing? Oh, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. How do you stop figuring it out? Practice. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, how many years have we been doing it this other way? And I think sometimes we carry this expectation that we're going to sit down and drop it all. We have, you know, years of thinking and reacting and responding in a way that is not always so connected. And uh, we live in a society that really doesn't support, a lot of the time, doesn't support staying with that connection. And so it's just practice, lots of practice. And I want to say something, too, about the word practice, which sometimes to me sounds like homework. And I would rather not do homework. Practice, if you can translate it to a word like resting, to simply rest, to give yourself that rest. And allowing that to be the motivation. The mind is going to do its thing. It's going to want to try and figure things out. Uh, What you'll start to notice is the more and more you practice this resting, the more you'll, you'll see it coming. It's a pattern. It's a habit. We all have habits. We're constantly reacting and responding out of habit. And... What the mindfulness is doing is simply noticing these habits. So the habit comes up, and mindfulness can meet it. But it takes practice to do that. Our habits don't necessarily go away, do they? I know mine haven't. (laughs) That's okay. It's just about noticing it. Some of them go away. Some of them don't. They just get to be a part of us. Just part of this energy, this thing that we are, this body, this mind that is Kate. I don't know what this is. I don't know what these habits are. 
I don't know where all of them came from. It doesn't matter. Mindfulness can come in and give us that space to at least notice, oh, I am in it again. Wonderful. How wonderful we can rest in that. So let's end. Thank you for your attention. And um, my hope for you in this new year is uh, that you give yourself the gift of rest and of connection with who you are, not the better version of you, but the genuine you, which is nothing extraordinary, more extraordinary than anyone else in this room, but totally amazing. And may the benefit of us all coming here together, may it be for the benefit of all beings everywhere, people who wanted to be here tonight couldn't make it, for those who didn't want to be here tonight, (laughs) but maybe, you know, are still doing this work, for beings who are experiencing their humanness this holiday season, or other people's humanness this holiday season. May the work that we do not be just for us, but for all beings everywhere. I don't know where the gong is. (laughs) Thank you. Good night. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.